Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. This week, we are celebrating our Harvest In Gathering as we continue in our series, How to Be Rich. Leading us in this week's teaching is our senior pastor and rector, the Reverend Dr. Jared Ott. Here he is with this week's message. Thank you for listening. You know, we are in this series called How to Be Rich, and one of the things as we've been talking about is, is a, it's a striking title. It's based off a book that we're utilizing from Andy Stanley. It's not how to become rich, it's how to be rich. So if you're again, if you're here hoping that this is a self-help uh, time uh, where we're going to talk about stocks and real estate, we're not, uh, but welcome. Uh, glad you're here. My name's Jared. I'm the senior pastor. Glad you're here for this series, How to Be Rich. No, we're talking about how to deal with the money God has given to us because isn't it amazing that we already are rich? We talked about that a few weeks ago, talking about how we have more money than most of the people in the entire world, that God has given us so much, how to be rich, how to deal with that. You know, it's interesting when I looked at this title of this, uh, this sermon here today, if you see it in your service sheets, we took it right from the book, and the book is, again, available in the bookstore, we encourage you to get it, it's called The Dollar Cost of Living. And I have to be very candid with you. When I first read that title, I thought, I have absolutely no idea what that means. Uh, I thought, is that a riddle? Is that a question? I'm not sure. I've come to realize that that really means how much does it, it cost us to live. And for us, some of us, it's, it's a lot. Some of us, it's very little. One of the things that we're going to realize is that the Macedonian church, the, the passage we just read, speaks right to that. How they dealt with their own finances and giving. You know, I had shared this, uh, uh, this joke a few years ago because when we talk about church, we talk about giving. A lot of people think that's all they ever do is they talk about money. The church only talks about money. And I shared this before, two guys deserted, uh, on a deserted island. One was all panicked and worried and uh, thinking, we're never going to get off this deserted island. We're marooned here. We're going to die. And the other guy was real relaxed, real calm. He was laying on the beach with his arms uh, folded and is uh, looking out at the ocean. And the one that was panicked said, to the calm one. He said, aren't you worried that we're going to get off this island? We're going to die here. You're not scared about that? And the one that was calm said, absolutely not. I make $100,000 a week and I tithe faithfully to the church. My pastor will find me. (laughs) People think that's all we do. Let's talk about money. What's amazing though, is that when you look at the Bible, the Bible talks more about money than anything else. It's the reason we talk about money. And the idea of how to be rich, people look at that and go, man, I can't believe you're even going to say the word rich. One of the things you're going to realize is the passages that we just read all throughout the past few weeks use the word rich in it. The Bible and God does not forbid us to be rich. In fact, Deuteronomy 8.18 is a great example of that. It says, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So if you're thinking right here, right now, that we're going to talk about uh, making uh, you feel bad because you have money, absolutely not. In fact, God's the one that gives you the ability. Some of you have a great deal of ability to produce wealth. Some of you have a great deal of ability to spend that wealth. But God's given us that ability to produce wealth. But the other part of it is, is true as well from 1 Timothy 6. But the love of money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, isn't it? Some people eager for money have wandered from their faith, pierced themselves with many griefs. It's no secret that when you look in our world today that money has really ruined people's lives, families. But it's interesting that that's not a new concept. Money has ruined people's lives from the, from the get-go. 
All throughout scripture, we see people's love of money. Achan's love of money brought disaster on himself. Balaam's love of money caused him to foolishly attempt to curse God's people. Delilah's love of money with Samson caused the death of thousands of people. Judas' love of money caused him to betray betray Christ. Ananias and Sapphira's love of money led them to lie, resulting in their own death. All throughout scripture, money has, has brought disaster on people. It's not the money itself, it's how they dealt with money, how they thought about money, how they worked through money. Many of you in marriages know that money has become an issue. In fact, did a wedding here yesterday, and we do the same thing with folks um, that we, any wedding that we do, as Pastor Barry and I and Pastor Jamie go through premarital counseling. One of the aspects we talked about is finances, how we deal with our finances. It has brought marriages together and has brought them apart. In fact, I heard a joke that said a couple was having severe financial differences and arguing about money. Finally, the husband exploded and said, if it weren't for my money, if it weren't for my money, the house wouldn't be here at all. Yes, said the wife, if it weren't for your money, I wouldn't be here at all. Money is, divides us, doesn't it? It divides us. People are obsessed with money and how we deal with money. One of the things when it comes to money is how we deal with giving. Some of us want to hold on to it. Some of us some of us do it so well in giving. Some of us struggle with that. My hope and prayer is that throughout the end of this service, we understand that we can give freely and joyfully as we pray. I heard a great quote once, and I want you to remember this. Someone once said, there are three kinds of givers. Three kinds of givers. The flint, the sponge, and the honeycomb. To get anything out of the flint, you must hammer it. You pound it, but you only get chips and sparks. To get anything out of the sponge, you got to squeeze it. And the more pressure you put on it, the more water comes out. But the honeycomb drips, drips freely. If you've ever pulled a honeycomb out of a, out of a beehive, it just overflows with sweetness. The question here today is, what kind of giver are you? The flint, the sponge, or the honeycomb? My wife is definitely a honeycomb. Shared this story a while back, but she was working here at the church and working in our youth group many, many years ago before we were even married. And um, she said she came into church and she had $10 uh, in her pocket. And she did not have enough gas to get all the way back to Geneva College where she was attending. And she remembered they were talking about money and she said, you know what, it was a sacrifice and I, I don't want to... I don't want to not give because I'm fearful. It was an act of trust. And so she said, she took that $10 out and put it in an offering plate as it went by and remember thinking, you know what, this is a trust that I have because I know God's going to provide for me. And she was able to worship. She said that worship was so sweet, that service, because she just poured out her heart. She said she couldn't make it back to Geneva, so she went to her parents' house. They only live a few miles away. And when she went there, to her surprise, her dad had $30 for her. He said, I don't, I don't normally give you money. Deb said, no, you don't. Uh, it's true. Uh, but here's $30. God provides. John Guest was here last week talking about how he and Kathy, when they were first married, didn't have much and talked about the sacrifice of giving. That's the giving that we want to talk about here is giving that transcends things, giving that comes out of joy. Our hope and prayer is that we are givers that are like honeycomb, not 
putting pressure on you, just squeezing just to get things out, or hammering it where just small sparks fly, but true honeycombs. And that's what we see for the Macedonian church, don't we? If you have your Bibles, we can learn a lot from this passage in 2 Corinthians 8. So much is in here about what we can learn about giving. First, we learn that giving is with joy. Giving is with joy. If you look at uh, verse 2, it says, In the midst of severe trials, they're overflowing joy. That's why we have a worship service at the end of this service that we do every year, a worship service where we're all going to come out and come down and come down and, and, and put our, our, our pledges on the Lord's table. It's a joyous thing. And so when I was talking to Pastor Marcus about this service, because this is his first time with us for an in-gathering, he said, what kind of music do you want? I said, we have to have joyful songs, right? We want to have uplifting songs. Why? Because we want to do it in a joyful way. And so I hope and pray as we do that later that we can do it with all joy. You know, some of us would say, I, they look at that title and they go, how to be rich. I wish I was rich. I think in my life now I have moved to, I don't want to be rich. I want to be a giver, a joyful giver, not begrudgingly. Because that Macedonian church, they were, they were a joyful giver, weren't they? Not only was their giving with joy, but we also see from this passage that their giving transcends hardships transcends hardships. Look at the third part of verse 2. It says, in in their extreme poverty, their extreme poverty, know that the blessing is is to the giver, not necessarily to the receiver. That's why when Deb was able to put that money in, it wasn't, she was able to worship so freely because it was, it transcended the hardship. It was so extravagant that it caught Paul almost off guard. You know, many of us would say, once I get into a better financial position, I'll, I can be a better giver, or I can give in, at all. Many of us have heard that line, once I get into a better financial position, I will get married. Those that are married kind of laugh at that, because we know the truth that you'll never be in that financial position. You'll probably never, ever get married, right? It's the same thing with giving. Some of us will say, man, once I get into a better financial position, I can give. The Macedonian church said it was in their extreme poverty that they gave. It reminds me of the woman with two coins. If you remember that story where the woman came with two coins and put it in the the offering and the Lord looked at her, Jesus looked at her and said, she gave more than everybody else. And the disciples were saying, what are you talking about? She only gave two coins. And he said, listen, she gave more than anybody else because it was in poverty that she gave. It was all that she had. It's not about the amount. It has nothing to do with the amount. It has everything to do with the trust. It's everything to do with the love. The Lord does not look down on us and say, well, they gave this amount and they gave this amount, so they must be better. Oh, no, no. He says, boy, in that extreme hardship, how much they gave, that's the trust. That's the trust. It showed a radical trust on her part. See, God does not love us in portions. Therefore, we should not love God in portions. He does not save us by fractions. Therefore, we cannot look at giving to him in fractions. We give joyfully. It transcends hardships. When we look at our giving, 
We know that we live in a society today that says, hey, listen, you got to save for this. You got to save for that. You got to have retirement and you got to, you know, have this kind of car, or this kind of house. I remember many of us, many of us meet with financial advisors and they are definitely important. We have a number of financial advisors here at the church. And if you need one, we would definitely like to recommend to you one to you because they are Christian men and women. We want to help folks that have not learned how to deal with their finances. And so we often will recommend people to sit down with a financial advisor. And I want to recommend Christian financial advisors because they have the Lord in mind. I remember Deb and I sat down with a financial advisor uh, many, many, many years ago. We did not know the Lord. And he remembered him talking to us before we had kids. We had just gotten married. We had to sit down, talk about you know, housing and, and whatnot. And he said, uh, you know, talked about saving for retirement. Then he talked about college. And he tried to do a calculation. He said, you know, you don't have any kids yet, but by the time you do have kids, this is how much college is going to cost. And I didn't even know that number existed. It was so large. And then he said, listen, you don't know how many kids you might have. Maybe you'll have three. Let's say you have three. So he took that number and then multiplied it by three. And I thought, that is insane. Look at how much money that is. And he said, therefore, if you want to save up and, um, so your kids don't have to spend any money for college, this is how much you'll have to save every month. And I looked at him and said, sir, I don't make that in an entire year. You want me to save that in one month? And we talked about the other financial obligations we had. Talk about giving to the church, giving to various charities. And it was frowned upon. And I know there's a lot of things that are frowned upon in this society. But if you wait till you get into a a point of financial security to give, you're never going to give. The Macedonian church understood giving transcends hardship. They also realized that giving is generous. Giving is generous. Look at verse 2, the latter part of verse 2. It says, welled up in rich generosity. They thought more about others than themselves. It made me think of the Good Samaritan when I read that. You remember the Good Samaritan who came alongside and helped the guy in need who was hurt, and he takes him to the inn, and he tells the innkeeper, hey, listen, I want you to take care of him, and I'm going to pay any bill. And then he says, whatever he needs above and beyond that that I don't pay right now, I will come back and pay for that. That is generosity. He's saying, listen, it's, it's not about just you getting the basics. Not about just getting by. I want to take care of him of above and beyond. So I'm going to go above and beyond. And I'm going to pay for any bill that he has above and beyond. I don't know him, but I want to take care of him. That's generosity. And the Macedonian church understood that too. There's a generosity there. The innkeeper had basically an open line of credit to be able to take care of this guy. That's generous giving. The Macedonian church understood it wasn't just about meeting a need and stopping there. They wanted to be generous. They wanted to be generous and go above and beyond. Welled up in rich generosity, Paul says. They also realized that giving was proportionate. You look at verse 3. Next verse says, I testify they gave as much as they were able. This was an interesting one to me because giving has to be proportionate, right? Right? A lot of people will often, and I'll use this term, you'll know what it means, rob Peter to pay Paul. We'll say, hey, listen, we've, we said we're going to give money here. We're going to not give any more there. We're going to start giving to somebody else. You're robbing Peter to pay Paul. If you have commitments, you need to make those commitments. You know, I, I think about uh, the, the, maybe the family who has all kinds of uh, bills that they have to pay and debt that they have to pay, and they say, no, you know what? We're not going to pay any of that. 
We're just going to leave it, and we're going to give it to this missionary. And they go home celebrating that we, they just gave it to this missionary, and the missionary celebrating that they just got all this money. Guess who's not celebrating? The debt collector. It's got to be proportioned in the sense of, hey, listen, we have commitments that we need to make. We have, some of us have debt that we need to pay off. But listen, it's got to be proportionate. What happened with this Macedonian church, they understood. They gave as much as they were able. But the next part is, is that they were also, they were giving sacrificially as well. They went above and beyond. It, 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 it went further than just, than just being proportionate. They said, listen, we're going to make a sacrifice here. And that's point number five. Giving is sacrificial. Verse three says, and they gave even beyond their ability. They, sacrificial giving often makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? Often makes us uncomfortable. Why? Because we're sacrificing something. That's what they call it, a sacrifice. I thought about this when I was thinking about King David. There's a story in 2 Samuel, not on the screens. 2 Samuel, uh, David, it's a story you're probably not familiar with, but David was going to make a sacrifice to the Lord. He said, I want to make a sacrifice. And he had this servant come up to him who actually owns some stuff, and this servant, um, Aranua, said, hey, listen, David, I will provide everything you need for that sacrifice. I'll give you the wood, I'll give you the animals, I'll provide the people, I'll give it all to you. And David's response is so powerful. He says, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord, which costs me nothing. So David's saying, listen, it's not a sacrifice if you're giving it to me. If I'm not sacrificing something, then it's not really a sacrifice. That's why C.S. Lewis goes on to say, I, I, do, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. You know, some of us give, but we don't want to be sacrificial. We don't want to change our lifestyle. We want to have that same luxury. And as long as we can give without it really affecting anything, then that's okay. That right there, friends, is the flint. The more you hammer it, You get things, but you only get sparks. The Macedonian church understood, we don't want to be a flint. They gave beyond their ability. We don't want just sparks. We don't want to to just uh, give and still have our same luxuries. They want to give joyfully, freely, generously. You know, we have a wonderful thing here that Every once in a while, we're able to help families in need. And I know we have a good Samaritan fund that Pastor Barry manages so well. People give time and time to that. And I know a few years back, I remember we were able to help a single mother in need who could barely provide food for her children. We were able to provide food for her. I remember talking to Barry about that, and it was a, it was a good amount, but we were able to help her. And I remember meeting up with her Months later, and she was so appreciative of Pastor Barry and myself and the church for allowing her children to eat that week. And she, I remember her saying, you know, it must feel good to be able to give out money. I said, it's not my money. It doesn't, it's not a sacrifice for me. It's not my money. It was the, somebody else sacrificed money for you to be able to provide for your children. That's a sacrifice. That's a sacrifice. It's not the size of the gift that makes it extravagant. It's the size of the gift relative to the size of the need that makes it extravagant. That's sacrificial. Giving to the Macedonian church was also voluntary. It was also voluntary. Look at verse 3 again. It says, entirely on their own. 
That same Good Sam Fund, a few weeks ago, somebody gave money to the Good Sam Fund. We did not solicit that. We did not ask for that. They said, here, Pastor Barry, I want this to go to the Good Sam Fund. It was above and beyond their tithe for the church. They said, listen, I've been helped. I want to help somebody else to do that. It's voluntary. They weren't pressured into doing something. They weren't the sponge. The sponge, you squeeze and squeeze and squeeze, and there's pressure and guilt, and then you give. That's not voluntary giving. The Macedonian church understood giving is voluntary. It wasn't a sponge. What they saw it as is giving is an absolute privilege. Giving is a privilege. Look at verse 4. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They saw giving as a privilege, and it overflowed. That church is the honeycomb. It's not the sponge. It's not a flint. It's the honeycomb. They urgently pleaded for us the privilege of sharing in the service. They were so involved in wanting to give. They, They were pleading, Paul, let us help you. Let us give. They were motivated because to give extravagantly because of what the Lord has already done for them. My hope and prayer is that we can be like honeycomb. We're not putting pressure. We don't feel guilty that it's, we do it because it's a privilege to give. I can tell you, when the money that is given here to the church, I can't speak for other places, but I can tell you right now, all of it goes to great great ministries and lives are being affected, not only in this church, but ministries and missions around this community and around the world. It's great to have um, our Encounter Dominican Republic here, folks, a few weeks back to be able to share what the Lord has done with the money that has been given to that community. Fresh water. People are now living longer. Food that's not tainted. Medicine. Our Encounter Uganda had the same effects for 10 years the people of this church giving and what had happened those wells that were put in uganda the lives that have been changed the the pastors that are there now with adoptive pastor those things continue on today that's the privilege of giving and i know some of us in this church are honeycombs and my hope and prayer is that we all become like honeycomb because giving is is also worship isn't it Giving is worship. Look at verse 5. They exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by his will of God also to us. Giving is worship. We know from Romans, what? I urge you, brothers, mercy to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices, right? Acceptable to the Lord. This is your spiritual act of worship. They looked at it as worship. They looked at it as as something that it wasn't just singing. Giving is an act of worship. Why? Because we love him because of what he's done for us. He died on the cross for us. That's the hope that we have. When we have a relationship with him, that's the hope we have. We're beyond rich in that aspect, aren't we? Knowing that no matter what happens in this life, that if we know and love him, that we can be in heaven when we die because he paid that ultimate sacrifice. That's worship. And we worship him because of that. Giving is an act of worship. Giving is also a a proof of love, isn't it? In verse verse 7, it says this, But you, since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnest, in the love we have kindled in you, see that also you excel in this grace of giving. See that you excel in this grace of giving. Why? Because it's in earnest and in love kindled in you. 
thought about that when I thought about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, if you remember, owed all this money to people. And he said, listen, he, he made a, his life out of stealing from others. And he said, listen, Lord, I'm, I'm going to repay those people four times as much. Excuse me, three times, three times as much. Zacchaeus went away a changed man. It wasn't because he was giving uh, his money away that, that resulted in a changed man. It was a renewed mind that he had. He said, listen, everything is from the Lord. I understand who he is, and I can give freely and joyfully back to people. That's a renewed mind because it was a renewed love in Zacchaeus' heart. It wasn't because he felt guilty. It wasn't the sponge. It wasn't because it was a flint that Christ was hammering him. He was just giving portions back. He gave back multiple times. That's the honeycomb that overflows. It's the proof of love. It's exciting to be able to give. It's for those of us that have been blessed because of giving too, we know how important it is to give. And I share this story as well, my wife and I were looking for a new apartment um, many, many years ago when we first got married because we had gotten robbed and wasn't safe to be there. And I remember thinking, there's no way we can afford a first and last month's payment on a house, on an apartment. And I remember coming into my office here at the church. I was the youth pastor, and on my desk, it was an envelope. I remember it like it was yesterday. And it was the exact, to the dollar, the exact amount of a first and last month's payment. And I went and showed Deb. I said, Deb, do you see this envelope? It's the exact amount that we needed. We had to get out of that apartment. We had no money to do it. It was the exact amount we needed. And to this day, we do not know who gave us that money. But we're blessed because of it. We're blessed because of it. And now, there's no pressure to give. We're able to give as honeycomb. Because somebody really cared about us, but somebody ultimately loves the Lord. Somebody loves the Lord. And that's my hope and prayer as we come. As Pastor Marcus comes and prepares our hearts for a a time of worship, we're going to sing some great songs. Holy is the Lord. We're going to sing, Your grace is enough, an everlasting God. As we come and prepare our hearts to lay down on the table what the pledges for the year so that we can prepare. Also, if you have your bags, we're going to do that as well. In a few moments, in a few moments, not yet, the ushers are going to come and you're going to exit to the side aisles towards the, towards the uh, windows and you're going to come down and you're going to lay those things. It's great to be able to come down and do it right under the cross, isn't it? That's why we do it. That's why we put our bags up here. We're going to give that to some people in need and know that the money that's given here, the pledges, really furthers Christ's message down the road. I leave you with this one story. It's a story from the Bible. Most of you familiar with this passage, but may have not have thought about it a whole lot. It comes from Matthew 21. Matthew 21, Jesus is about to go into Jerusalem, if you remember, because he was going to go to the cross. And we do a Palm Sunday where where Jesus rides on the donkey and lays the palm branches down. If you remember, Jesus rides on the donkey on the way to Jerusalem. The question is, have you ever thought about where the donkey came from? Matthew 21 says this, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus said to his disciples, saying to them, he says, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. That guy had a donkey, right? It's like having a car. 
Can you imagine somebody coming up to you and saying, hey, listen, the Lord needs your car. And you say, yeah, here you go. Here's the keys. No. That guy had a donkey. He had a lot of stuff, right? But he says, hey, listen, the Lord needs it. And he sent it right away. You know, sometimes in my own life, I've gone to situations where I felt bad about not giving certain amounts or I had an opportunity to give and I felt guilty. But then there's other times where I know that God has blessed me and we're able to give and we give generously and joyfully. And I know that that message of Jesus, that message moved it down the road, just like that donkey moved Jesus down the road. Some of us have a lot to give like that man with the donkey. Some of us have only a little like the woman with two coins. It doesn't matter. It's all a matter of saying, hey, listen, I want to give joyfully. I want to give freely. I want to give generously because it's an act of love and it's an act of worship. The question is this morning, as you leave here, are you the flint? Are you the sponge? I pray that you're the honeycomb. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for today.